Hey everyone, I'm Riley Burke and welcome to The Variety Show. I'm a 22-year-old student, businesswoman, and traveler who loves expanding my knowledge and learning new things. This podcast is a way for me to take everything I've learned and share it with all of you. The Variety Show, a podcast where we talk about a variety of different things, such as business, fashion, food, travel, friendship, and everything in between. This is a podcast where we can laugh, grow, and learn together, and I'm so happy you're here. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to The Variety Show. Today, I am sitting down with a very special guest. She has worked for Circus Soleil for many years and is now running her own leadership and mentor program. Please welcome Caroline Maley. Caroline, welcome to The Variety Show. Hey, thank you so much. I'm very excited. Let's I'm get so it. excited to have you. I think it's going to be so much fun. Um, we're going to talk all about Circus Soleil and traveling and what you're doing now. But before that, I really just want to get to know you, learn a little bit more about your background and your story. Um, so we'll jump right in. To start, where are you from? You know, usually that's a very easy question and people have a very like one word, two word answer. But my my answer is always a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> I was born in New Zealand. My mother is is Kiwi. She's from New Zealand. Wow. Uh, I was raised in Australia, so I spent a good. <clears throat> I'm twenty. I'm thirty five right now, so I, I spent a good twenty years in Australia. But my father is French, and his heritage goes from France to Algeria to Malta to Spain, wow. and so I feel very much. I feel a lot more connected to that part of my heritage than any other part. And so even though I grew up in Australia and for those that are, uh, that know the Australian accent, they can pick it in my accent. Um, but I don't feel Australian at all. I don't connect a lot with the culture and, and not in a negative way, just in a personal way. And so when people ask me, I, I often say that I was born in New Zealand, raised in Australia, but my soul is from the Mediterranean. So <laughs> I love that. I love that. What was that like growing up in Australia? I've never been, but I've heard so many amazing things about it. Like anyone that's been there, they just love it. I mean, Australia, I have to, even though, you know, like I mentioned, I, I, I don't feel connected to that place. It is not the place for me. And I, it's, it's not, it's a huge part of my story, but it is not where I want to be and where I feel like I belong. However, I will say that it, it is an incredible company and uh, country and anyone that says that Australia is their dream location and, you know, it's their dream to go there once in their life or they've been there and it was an incredible, I, I mean, it really is from the incredible landscape and the sea, the ocean and the, yeah. the desert and the animals that are just mm -hmm. so and different it is an incredible place and I think the standard of living the way that you live there it's a very I feel in my personal opinion a very peaceful place it's not yeah. super political it's it's a very it's an amazing place to be brought up in and I'm very thankful that I that I had that experience of, of growing up in Australia because it is an, an incredible incredible country so yeah it's definitely definitely on my bucket list for sure <laughs> So um, as a kid, what were you passionate about? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? So I was a gymnast. I Really? Sorry, when I was in grade one, the first year of school in Australia, we had like a, this activity to do. And it, it was kind of like, a, what is your, I think it 
was something like, what do you love, right? And yeah. you know, it was in, in the beginning of school, it's like the smiley face. It's like sad, sad face to like smiley face. Yeah. Right? <laughs> circle in the one that it applies to you. So the question was something like, what do you love, right? And I wrote, I love gym, like gymnastics, but okay. I wrote it J-I-M. Okay. And apparently my teachers actually called my parents to say like, who's Jim? Oh like, <laughs> as a five-year-old. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Uh, and they were like, oh, she means gymnastics. She just doesn't know how to <laughs> Uh, I will always remember that story that my parents tell me often, but I, I started gymnastics when I was, I don't know, let, let's say four. And it was the love of my life for until I was about 16. And, and mm-hmm. I ended up coaching gymnastics after that for a good 10 years on and off, um, not only in Australia, but in France as well. And it was, it was everything. It was, I trained every day. I trained after school every day for about four hours. Some mornings I trained before school. I trained all day Saturday. Sunday was like my only day that I didn't train. And it was, it was, it was my identity at school. Everyone knew me as the gymnast. Everyone knew me as the girl that could do like flips. Wow. And yeah. it was just such a huge part of, of me as a person growing up. And even now, when I think about my skill set, when I think about my strengths, when, where I think about where I learn certain things, I can attribute a lot of that to being a gymnast. I think it's any kind of sport where you're fully immersed in it. I think you, you actually end up by default learning a lot of incredible life skills that carry you on to, through the rest of your life. So gymnastics was everything to me that's all I talked about that's all I watched that's all I kind of did with my spare time so yeah so 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 when what so when was it where you were like um maybe I don't want to do gymnastics like as a career like when when did you decide like what you wanted to study in school and when was that like transition yeah so for me that was in high school so in high school Australia that's year eight so you're about 13 years old I think 12 turning 13 if I remember correctly and okay what was happening is that I started getting introduced to a lot of other sports you know my school I went to a private girls school in Australia um, and it was there was a lot going on and I was naturally very good at a lot of sports just because of I guess my natural talent mixed with my gymnastics you know ability And I started to discover all of these other sports and all these different things. And, you know, training, let's say 40 hours a week, didn't allow me to do all those other things. And when you're a gymnast, as, as a female anyway, it's different for males. But, you know, when once you get to puberty, it starts to change a little bit. The dynamics starts to change. Your body starts to change. And so it's, it gets to a point where you, you make that, it's a crossroads, right? And um, so because I started to discover all these other sports like athletics and running and, you know, um, volleyball and uh, hockey and all these other sports, field hockey that I discovered that I just loved and I wanted to be a part of, that's when the transition started happening. So I naturally transitioned out of gymnastics. I actually did trampolining for a while. Oh, wow. Um, that's cool. I kind of, eventually transition out of it however still involves like as a coach so uh yeah it was high school did that to me and I think a lot of people can relate to that where you're in a new environment where there's a lot of different kind of opportunities that that you you never really had before or different different activities that you were like what is this like right go so you have to kind of make that that adjustment at some point Nice. So, so what did you study at um at, at school or university or, or college what was what were you studying Yeah, so I did go to university and I had a very untraditional path, I guess you could say. Uh, It took me about, I think it took me about six and a half 
maybe a seven sounds dramatic. Let's say six to six and a half years to finish my degree. Uh, I actually did a science degree in nutrition. So okay. technically you could say I'm a nutritionist, even though I, I would never claim that. Um, <laughs> I did the degree. Uh, growing up, it was very part of my culture. And I think America, America in particular has a very college uh, kind of direction mindset. I think mm-hmm. it's changing now. However, it's, it's a big part of that story, that education system story. Yeah. And the, the school that I went to and the environment that I was in, that was also very similar. And so it was almost expected that I went to university. And um, I, so I studied a, a health science degree in nutrition. However, I, I fell in love with traveling. Traveling mm-hmm. was a part of my life basically since I was born, since neither of my parents were from Australia. So right. we were kind of traveling, but I started traveling on my own very early on. And so I, I think I did I want to say like two years of university, then I deferred and, and at the rules at the time where you could defer twice for, for up to one year. And then that was it. So I did that. I ended up quitting, like leaving university. And then many years later, which I'm sure we'll get into the Cirque du Soleil part of the story. I actually ended up leaving Cirque du Soleil, going back to university, almost just to prove like that I could get the degree, even though I didn't really care for it. Right, right. I ended up going back, getting the paper and then the piece of paper, you know, so I, I do have a degree, but it was very, it was very unconventional. And I, I but for me, it was. I, I wouldn't change it because every time that I went back and that was many times, I felt so much more mature and educated in yeah. life and the world than all of my fellow students who were just coming out of school. They maybe had never traveled before. They, they maybe it was, they'd had one or two kind of part-time jobs, but they hadn't been immersed into the kind of adult world culture. Right. Every time I went back, I felt very different and I felt very, almost to my advantage and so it's really interesting now when I have conversations with people that are younger than me who are going through that same journey it was such a plus for me to actually take my time and do that and you cannot do that with with everything you know like if you want to if there's very strict rules around you know if you want to be a doctor if you want to be an engineer right. there's degrees where you actually have to go through it properly right but ones that are a little bit more flexible it's a huge advantage if you're able to take your time and experience things naturally you know so that that's how I did it and I I'm very thankful that I that I did it that way in yeah I, I agree with you I think that's honestly like really smart um how you did that um I I think you do learn so much more just kind of like outside the classroom from traveling and real world experiences and working and and being in the field so I think what you did was actually really um, cool and unique. And and like you said, I'm sure like you just felt more mature every time you came back and just so much more knowledgeable from, you know, being in the real world. So sure. I think that's awesome. So how did Circus Soleil start? Because this was like a big chapter in your life. How did this yeah. even come about? It's only just recently finished and it was because of um, COVID really. So uh, the way that Cirque du Soleil works on tour is that um, every city you go to, and, and you know, maybe some of your listeners have worked for Cirque du Soleil because the way that it works is every city that we go to, we hire about 100 local staff to work for us. So oh, wow. they find the bars, they're the janitors, they're the ushers, they're, you know, they're, there's many different positions. And um, so I did that when I was about, I think I was 18, and uh, I knew I'd heard of Cirque du Soleil, obviously, because I was a gymnast um, from that uh, performance side of things. But um, 
uh, yeah, I was looking for a casual job when I was at university and I got the opportunity when Cirque du Soleil came for, you know, they're only, they're only in a city between six to eight weeks. So I got the opportunity to come in and, and work in the bar actually. And uh, I loved it, of course. And I did really well. I, I, in the six, I think in the eight weeks that I was there, I actually kind of became like the team leader for the bar and then oh, wow. that kind of made its imprint and a couple of years later when they re-emerged in Australia you know they came every two years or so I still had those connections and I, I started to do the same thing so behind the bar and it just so happened at the time they were kind of short of, of like full-time supervisors and I kind of stepped into that role as a local employee but then they opened up the position permanently and I applied for it and I got it so oh, wow. that's basically how it how it all started and that started a 10-year kind of love affair with the with the company and yeah it kind of took me all the way up till a year ago yeah so tell me like what were some like your main responsibilities what was like a day in your life um obviously I know you were traveling a lot um but what were some like your main responsibilities like what were you doing every day yeah, so I was part of the front of house team. So the front of house team um, was a team of around 10 people and we ran everything everything that touched the guest basically. So the started with the box office to the food and beverage outlets, to the okay. VIP, the merchandise boutique, to inside the house, the ushers looking after the, the guests in the show. And I started in food and beverage. That was kind of, you know, I think when you're, when you're first starting out, everyone has a hospitality job, right? Right, right or or a waitress or something like that um and so I started in food and beverage and I basically actually ended up over that whole period did every single position and but I I found my speciality in the VIP zone and I loved the VIP because what ends the difference between the VIP is I actually had a lot more time with my guests because I had a smaller sample of guests so right you think of a food and beverage bar where you have 2000 spectators, everyone just comes up for their popcorn. Like super quick, yeah. yeah, like cinema, right? Like you just, it's a transaction relationship. Whereas the VIP, the maximum I would have every night was 200, which is quite small in, in the grand scheme of the show. Right. And so I actually had a little bit more time with the guests and I actually got to see them throughout the entire journey. So I would see them before the show, during the intermission and then after the show. So I got to really kind of experience their journey with them. And I fell in love with that aspect of kind of customer service and guest experience. Yeah. So in terms of day in the life, I would say that for the most part, our shows were in the evenings, right? Our weekdays were in the evenings. On the weekends, we always had two shows. So we, the weekends were a write-off basically for anything else. So we were mainly at work. But um, in any particular city, we always had a Monday off. Every, any Cirque du Soleil show around the world that's touring, it was universal. Mondays were off. And then between like Tuesday to Friday, I would start work like around, let's say, three, four o'clock. So I actually had a lot of time during the days to explore the city or work on my own projects. And then the weekends were just basically dedicated to work. And then we would finish, depending on every city was different in terms of the timing, but we'd maybe finish around midnight or so, and then kind of start that process again. But because we were in a city for, you know, eight weeks is a long time to be in a city that um, is not, you're in that, you're in that kind of in-between of you're not a tourist, but you're not a resident, right? So right. you get to experience the city in a much different way than you would if you were just there for a week or if you were living there. So, and I, I had the luxury of having local staff working for me. So of course I had the inside scoop and they would take me yeah. to places and stuff like that. So in, in total, I, 
I ran teams in 17 different countries and over 50 different cities around the world. So uh, (laughs) it was a, it was a worldly experience. That's incredible. And I I can only imagine like working with people from all over the world. I mean, how there had to have been like language barriers or like, I'm sure too, just like, you know, I feel like people from all over the world, they just act differently. They do different things. Like how was that adjusting to that? Yeah. So that, that aspect of my job is one of the reasons why I think I, I am at the, at the position that I am now in my career and, and that I have the expertise that I have. Because um, if, you, if you think, if you work in the same city with the same kind of group of people with the same demographic your entire life, that's your reference point, right? Right. And I mean, the first example that you said is the language barrier. That is the number one thing that I came up against. And all of our local staff had to speak English. Um, However, I truly believe that the question in the interview was, do you speak English? And then they just said, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Because sometimes we had people that just did not speak English, but a lot of supervisors spoke more languages than one I I speak three languages and so um, we were able to communicate in 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 other languages than English however that's you know when you're training people when you're when you're mentoring people when you're guiding them when you're leading them it's very different in even if they speak English it's always going to be the second the third the fourth language right and it's very different even in I'm going to say like in the United States I toured in the United States for probably in total a year and a half and every city was different how Mm -hmm. the the teams that I had in New York were different to the teams I had in Miami to the teams that I had I'm trying to think like Arizona I was in Arizona and and every every place no matter what country you're in poses its own challenges has its own advantages has its own reality and and also the demographic of the teams you know like some cities I would go to and the teams would be like made up of like students who just wanted like a part-time job and who right. just the fun of it or who like loved Cirque du Soleil and really wanted it on their resume and so the energy was very different now in other cities and I would say especially in the United States I think this this is very this is very relevant to the United States some cities my team this was their third job and they had three kids at home and they needed to put food on the table and so and they were a little bit older. And so the dynamic was very, very different to that kind of student fun mindset. Right. And so as a leader, it was a very important part of my role to be very a empathetic and sensitive to the realities of my team, but then to also really use that knowledge and those insights to the advantage of everyone and try to create incentives and create ways of working that was actually going to respect their, their the reason why they were there and 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 how we kind of operated on a day-to-day so it was basically I would say a 10-year playground where I got to really become very skilled at leadership and and customer experience by default almost you know and even from a guest point of view there were cities where and now in hindsight I can say like I know that there's countries and I'm speaking very stereotypically and generally, but there are countries where I know that for the most part, the guests are gonna be super late. They're gonna be super like fiery, energetic, like <laughs> the vibe is gonna be really high. And then there's gonna be other countries where the guests are very orderly, yep. things are very calm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think even if I say that, people that have traveled can probably already think of some cities or countries where yeah. that may play. 
but I would not have known those things until I was actually confronted with them and, and being placed in that kind of reality. So yeah, the best way I describe it is like a 10 year playground of, of testing and trying and being confronted and challenged with different cultures and languages and realities. And it was an incredible, it's the most unique experience that I will forever be, forever till the day I die, be incredibly grateful for, because I think it has shaped a lot of where I'm at right now in my career, you know? So yeah, I was just going to say it, it honestly just sounds like the most incredible experience. Like, I mean, you're working for a company that you've loved for so long. And the fact that, you know, every day you might be doing similar tasks, but the different countries and cities that you're in, the different people you're interacting with, like, it, it really sounds like so amazing. So yeah, I mean, it just sounds so cool. And you probably just learned. I can't even imagine how much you learned, to be honest. Like yeah, and I'll, I'll give you a really practical example. I was running the merchandise boutique. Um, mm -hmm. I tell this story a lot and I don't remember the countries. I, I have a vague idea, but I don't remember exactly where I was. I was definitely in Europe, but I created an incentive program for my team because we needed to increase our sales like per head, per, per guest, mm -hmm. right? And I created an incentive program and it was amazing. Like yeah. I was so proud of it. I was like, this Aww. is the best thing I've ever created. This is so good. <laughs> the team loved it. Like we were all vibing, like yeah. talking about it. We were like looking at the results and it was like huge, right? Yeah. I was like, this is amazing. I, no joke, like, cause we only had two months in each city, right? So then I went to the next country. I don't remember what it was exactly. And I remember distinctly, I'll never forget this they hated that incentive program. They hated it. They wanted no part of it. They were yeah. like, you're basically pitting each pitting out each of us against each other. Like, this is not a team thing. Like, we don't want to be a part of this. Like, we want to have nothing to do with this. We hate this. Okay. And, and I was also quite, this was like early in my career. Like I was right. probably, around, I don't know, like 26, 27. So I wasn't as experienced as I am now. So I was like, oh my God, like, right. What? didn't understand and I'm like right. oh but wait this was amazing and and now like I it was very hard and and now obviously in hindsight you know hindsight is is a powerful thing but it was such a lesson in me and you can create something incredible for one environment it doesn't mean that it's going to apply to the next environment and I think we as all of us as leaders no matter what kind of leader you are in your life whether you're a leader professionally in a team whether you're a leader in your community when you're a leader in your family just because you create something amazing in one environment does not mean that it's going to actually work. And it Absolutely. doesn't, it's even a reflection on you and your ability and your skill. A lot of times it's just the context, right? And the environment and how those people experience life. And I think until, until you actually have that experience, it's very hard to kind of put that into play, but I will never forget that experience because that was such a huge lesson for me. And it was just like, yeah, like a slap in the face. Like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, yeah it, no, that was a that was a perfect example. And I know you said you were roughly in each city for about two months. So you're doing a ton of traveling. What was that like for you, you know, constantly on the go? Like, I, I'm sure in the beginning, it, it was probably exciting. Was there ever a time where you were like, this is like, kind, kind of like a lot like, and I'm sure like packing wise too, like you probably don't have a ton of stuff with you and, you know, living on the road traveling, like, tell me about that, um, that part of the job. Yeah, so I think it was a natural lifestyle choice for me in that I grew up traveling, you know, my, 
I grew up in Australia, but my father was French. My mother right. was from New Zealand. So we were always traveling. And, and so that was, traveling is part of my blood. Like I, I, it's not that I started traveling like as a backpacker later on. Like I literally was traveling. I mean, I moved, I was born and then I moved to America. Actually, I lived in Houston, Texas randomly for two really? years. <laughs> like literally two years old. Wow. So I was, I've always been traveling my whole life. So travel, I think if I'm not traveling, that's where the issues arise. Yeah. Um, however, I will say that um, I, I definitely have noticed it in the last couple of years where uh, I realized that I need a base and I never had a base. And, yeah. you know, even Australia, I, I don't plan on going back there unless it has to do with my parents because they're, they're actually there right now. But it's not a place that I go back and go, oh, I'm, I'm home, you know. And I joke because I have a, a storage unit in uh, France, in the south of France. And yeah. that's kind of my like mini apartment that basically has books in it. And that's about it. But, oh. <laughs> but um, I, it's only really in the last couple of years. And of course, COVID really exacerbated that feeling of I need a base. Right. As I will always travel my entire life. I need to have somewhere where I can actually return to and go home. So when I was at Cirque, when I was at Cirque du Soleil, it was actually very natural for me. Um, and I, you know, it, it's not the same for everyone, but I was, that, that was just how I lived and I, and I loved it. And, and in terms of possessions, you know, we were allowed, I think four suitcases was the maximum that you were allowed on tour. Yeah. And I've always naturally been very minimalistic just because of that. Cause I never bought anything, you know, I still, I'm 35 years old and I've never rented an apartment, you know, in my, in my life, you know, yeah. I think 21 will be the first year that I'll do that, but it's, <laughs> it's not common to have like a 35 year old that's like never rented own whatever an apartment. So, right. um, so yeah, it's just, it's, it's was a natural part of my life because I've always been a traveler since I was a baby, I guess. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I like that. I have to wonder too, you know, you grew up a gymnast, you're working for Cirque du Soleil, which is so amazing. I mean, their acrobats and, and gymnasts are incredible. Was there ever a time where you were like, I'd really, I'd, I'd much rather be on the stage right now versus like behind the bar. Were you ever thinking like, you know, I wonder if I would have done this or, or, or at that time were you like, you know, I, I it's, it's okay. Uh, no, I, I never, it never crossed my mind in this because the caliber is very different. Like yeah. I was a gymnast, but I was not, a, I was not, you know, an elite gymnast and the caliber that you have to be to be an acrobat at Cirque du Soleil is like, you have to basically like, I'll give you an example. One particular show that I worked on, my favorite act was uh, anyone that knows gymnastics, the uneven bars for women. It was very yes. much based on that, but it was a group of females that were representing like the Amazons in the jungle. It was an amazing act, but in that troop of 10, I think there was four Olympians and two of them were wow. like into two Olympic games. Like oh my gosh. To, the caliber is, is ridiculous. It's not just like any old person can train for 10 years and then they become it. It's, it's really its own. The caliber is incredibly high. So it never crossed my mind in, because I knew that I was never, I was never at that level. So uh, as much as I loved it, and of course, like, of course, when you're younger, you dream of it, but, but realistically speaking, I was definitely not at that, at that level to ever consider like, like, oh, this could be a reality. It was right. like completely like off the radar. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think I was um, the same way. I grew up a competitive dancer actually. So I started dancing when I was two years old 
danced my whole life. Um, long story short, my dad does some work for like circuses and entertainment, like more of like the concession, like the popcorn buckets and cotton candy bags and, uh, you know, caramel apple holders, whatever. So we would go to the circus all the time. And, um, as a kid, I was like, you know, I, I want to be on that stage. Like I want to do that, whatever. But you're right that like the caliber of people, I mean, Circus Soleil is like, just, you know, it's, you have your normal circuses, I feel like in shows. And yeah. then it's like Circus Soleil is like up here, like they're incredible. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like even just you know, getting to watch the show like over and over in different cities, it just must have been so, uh, so amazing. Yeah. And I loved, uh, you know, once you see the show like many, many times, it, it kind of, it, it kind of, the, the magic gets lost a little bit and not, right. not in a bad way. It's just, you know, once you see something. Right, right, right. But I, the, where I found the magic in was actually watching the, the spectators because, you know, everyone comes from different realities. And for some person, maybe it's their 20th time they've seen Cirque du Soleil and they're a super fan. And, you know, that that's just part of their, you know, every year they're budgeting a certain amount because they know they're going to 10 shows or whatever. But, right. and then you have the the person that's never seen a show and is sitting there just like, in awe, in yeah. Ways, you know, and then you have the families. And then, so I actually loved just sneaking into the big top when I didn't, you know, when I had 10 minutes spare and actually observing the guests. Yeah. And of course, then you have the different, you know, you have the different um, dynamics with countries. You know, if you go, if you, if you see the, the guests in Japan, the spectators, it's very, even if they love it at the end, it's a very kind of timid clap. Right. But, they're super the Japanese in at Soy are some of the super fans, you know. Right, you right. guess. And then you go to Spain and they have this probably so crazy. Like, <laughs> with the stands and and that was my favorite. Honestly, that yeah. was my favorite part is going yeah. in and really seeing the cultural representation of the people and how they how they immerse themselves in the show. It was it was so unique and and country to country it was just so incredible to see that diversity you know yeah I love that um so with traveling you know you're with this company for 10 years do you know how many countries that you've been to through Cirque du Soleil yeah so I have physically worked like actually worked in 17 countries wow. but I've been I've I've traveled to 43 now 43. oh my gosh that's insane that is so cool do you have a favorite country or a top three yeah so I think you know as I mentioned in the introduction uh the Mediterranean is has such a magic about it that until you've been you won't know but it is no matter what country because the thing is there's so many countries that touch the Mediterranean Sea right you could be in Tunisia Algeria kind of the North African uh side of things you could be in the south of France the east right. of Spain or you could be on the Greek island side of things like you could be in in Turkey like Lebanon like there's so many countries that touch the Mediterranean Sea but there's something that draws them all to that magic of that sea yeah and that that is my my place in the world and it has taken it's really interesting because <clears throat> part of my identity growing up was that I never felt I belonged anywhere I wasn't Kiwi I wasn't from New Zealand because I was born there but I I really only spent kind of two years there I wasn't Australian my my name wasn't Australian my parents weren't Australian like I, I didn't feel connected to Australia 
But even when I went to the fr to France for the first time, you know, how even how my first name is spelt, my it is a French name, but my parents created that spelling for anglophones for english speakers and so when i went to france they were all confused and then i've never really i never really found the place you know and i remember um going to malta and anyone that doesn't know malta it's it's very close to kind of tunisia and the bottom of italy it's an island on its own and it's a very beautiful place because it's a very intriguing place because of where it is ge geographically historically it was always on the major trade routes between North Africa, um, <clears throat> the the kind of west side of the Middle East, and then Europe, the south of the su southern Europe. So it was always it was always invaded by different populations. So even when you hear the Maltese language, it's actually, in my opinion, my personal opinion, a mix between like Italian and Arabic, and it's very beautiful in that in that way. So yeah. I my last name is actually Maltese, apparently. And so when I went to Malta for the first time, when I was like 25, I was in this like pottery store where I kind of got sent there. People were, were helping me kind of like discover certain things there. And, and I found a book. It was like a, you know, like a turnstile, like with all the books. And uh, there was a book that, that was called The Surnames of the Maltese Islands. And my name was in there. And I literally... Cry, I was like crying in that store and it was the first time that I felt like I belonged anywhere Aww. and ever since that day I felt a deep connection to the Mediterranean and so to answer your question anywhere on the Mediterranean is in my top but I am but Greece is the top country for me and I in two months time hopefully I'll be living there I'm planning to move there right now yeah um, it is Greece is kind of ticked the most boxes out of all the boxes that I have in terms of a place that I love and where I want to live. Um, so that would definitely be the top. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. The list is so, the list is so long, right? But every place does something to me in, in a different way. So yeah. I think it's kind of hard to answer that question once you've traveled so much, I think. So yeah. Right. That's so cool. Yeah. So I wanted to fast forward to about, we'll say February or March of 2020. And I'm sure a lot of people know that this was the time when like COVID was starting up. Okay. What city and country were you in when there were rumors and, and COVID was first kind of starting out? Yeah. So this is a great story, actually. So I was at the beginning of the year, I was in Sevilla in Spain and I was with Cirque du Soleil and we had planned to go from Sevilla to Lyon in France. And <clears throat> so obviously there was like conversation, rumors, uh, chatter then, but we planned to do that journey, um, you know, as per usual and just see what happens. So in between Sevilla and Lyon, I had five days off. Okay. Um, I actually went to the south of France to a little town called Villefranche, which if anyone knows Nice, Monaco, it's like yes. of them. Mm -hmm. And I've been there before. So I, I, I went and my plan was to just spend five, five days swimming in the sea and then head up to Lyon. And I went with, I'm not even joking, the smallest carry-on I've ever packed in my life because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be on the beach. Like, right. I don't really need even clothes like you right. know <laughs> I don't any work I don't need my laptop like I'm just gonna go super minimalist and I ended up being stuck there for four months and oh, um, wow 
they got cancelled like to this day is cancelled there's no shows well for the most part and I didn't have my, all my luggage was still with Cirque du Soleil, my laptop, which I never ever go anywhere without. But for this one trip, I decided not to take it. Oh my gosh. Airbnb stay was supposed to be five days and it ended up being a month of that one. And then I kind of, I, I just moved around, around Nice, between Nice and Cannes in France. And I moved kind of around there over a four, almost five month period of the lockdown. But I even, um, <coughs> I even had to buy like tracksuit pants at the supermarket because yeah. I had no clothes, like I had, and there was no stores. Like that was really the hardcore wow. days of lockdown. And uh, I was trying to, obviously was kind of changing career, if you will. And I was writing, I was recreating my website on pieces of paper, like on my apartment floor, because I didn't have a, I didn't oh have my life. Oh my gosh. That must've been the most insane time. I mean, you're hearing about one, the pandemic, two, the fact that your job could be up in the air. And then three, you're stuck here, barely any luggage, no laptop. I mean, that, that had to have been pretty, uh, I don't like overwhelming and stressful in the beginning. Like, how did you kind of juggle all that? Yeah, I think I I think after all of those years of traveling and 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 moving around and and jumping into jumping in and out of different realities, I I feel like I have a very chill personality and I feel like I'm able to kind of when challenges come up, I'm able to kind of look at them really objectively and logically yeah. and just be okay with certain things. And I, I also think once you start traveling, you you're also you also come up to environments that are very unlike yours. Like I'll give you the example right now, I'm in Montenegro, which is on the Adriatic Sea in the Baltics and there's no Amazon here. There's no food delivery. There's no, like, I, I've tried to get so many things here that I just cannot get in my yeah. regular life. But I think once you start traveling, you almost, it's almost a bit of an expectation and probably to a lot of Americans like that, the thought of like no Amazon, no like Uber, right. like, <laughs> craziest thing ever. Yeah. And no like 24 hour supermarkets. But I think it's, once you start traveling, I, I feel like you become a lot more, your expectations change in the way that you're a little bit more adaptable, you know, to things that are coming up. So when the lockdown first started, I, I, I already was kind of transitioning out of my career at Cirque du Soleil because I'd been there for such a long time. Right. So it wasn't kind of like my dream job got stripped away right. from me. I'm already right. mentally in that transition. So that's where I think the difference was. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, 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 what that experience really taught me is like really slowing down and taking time to think a little bit deeper about, about how I wanted to do things. And, and I think we've all, we all had this experience in lockdown. Everyone was in the same position, everyone. So you didn't feel necessarily that you were missing out because everyone was kind of missing out together. Right. right. So you weren't feeling like all these people were like moving forward and going crazy and you weren't like it was the one time I think where yeah (laughs) everybody has had had to stop in some respect whatever that meant in your own context and reality and I think that took a little bit of the pressure off me in terms of trying to figure out what I was going to do and then that that became a that began almost like a year I think now is probably now and I feel very solid in my direction and what I'm doing but that's a year it's literally in a couple of weeks that will be a year an entire year yeah and without the laptop especially 
it really taught me in a very hard way. Like it was incredibly frustrating. Like there were moments where I wanted to smash my phone against the window. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it taught me that uh, to, to think a little bit more deeply about things, you know, when you have access, you do things quickly, which in a lot of times that, that, that makes sense. And that's right. a positive, and that's a great thing, you know, but a lot of times I think that can also work against you in the sense that you don't think enough about your decision yeah. or strategy or how you want to go about something. And then instead you just hastily do things because you feel like you have to do it in that moment. Right. And that experience really taught me to, okay, I would have been able to do this if had I had my laptop, like, for example, create my website in the way that I wanted. But now I, I don't have that. So let's think about it and let's like work the next year, the next couple of weeks. And then let's see how that develops. And, and I think that actually worked to my advantage. I, I wouldn't have said that at the time, but in hindsight, I will right. say that sure, where I was able to be a lot more patient, intentional. Uh, and think a little bit more deeply about actually what I wanted to do with my life and where I wanted to go. So, yeah. So with that, what's been going on recently? I know you kind of just launched this new leadership and mentor program. Like what has been going on now? Where are you living? Tell me about, tell me about now. Yeah. So, um, I have just launched a leadership program and it is specifically for, kind of first-time managers that are in service-based industries. So when I say okay. service-based industries, I think of hospitality, I think of cruise, I think of retail, I think of like wellness and specifically events, obviously. Events, shows, that's kind of my background. Um, and what I saw is a lack of development opportunities for young and up-and-coming leaders that are in their early 20s that it's their first time they've been a manager of a team and they have no idea what they're doing right and the frame of reference they have is their manager who could be amazing but who could also be absolutely shockingly terrible yeah you know? so, sure. <laughs> you're almost, you know it's that saying that you're a product of your environment this really shows up in leadership and yeah I, I saw that time and time again, and I basically created the leadership program that I wish I would have had when I first started out 15 years ago yeah. as a kind of ambitious up and coming leader. And so I truly believe it's the best thing I've ever created. And it is broken down into three sections that, again, do not get any attention in this way and where I find like this is really unique. So the first section is around self-leadership. So how you show up as a leader and no leadership program ever talks about this. Yeah. No mentors, no, none of this. Your work environment never talks about how you show up as a leader for yourself, right? It's very operational. Right. And then it goes into leading your, so that's leading yourself. Then it goes into leading your team and then leading your guests. So it kind of covers those, that journey. And um, that's what I've, that's what I've developed right now. So it's called better your leadership, super simple. And it's okay. betteryourleadership.com. Like it can't be any simpler than that. Yeah. But it, it's, it's not a course. It's, it's a mental program. So we have like the curriculum where that I just kind of touched on. But then every two weeks we do like live coaching calls where you're oh, able wow. to just say, for example, you in your workplace, like maybe you tried one of the strategies that we had gone through in the lessons. Maybe it didn't work out and then you'd right. like some back on it. So we jump on the calls and it's like a group call. And oh, so, that's so fun. Yeah, it's this beautiful kind of community. And, and that has been a year kind of in the making, not yeah. in the sense of I wanted to do that a year ago and I've been working on it for a year ago, for a year, but it's like, 
a year ago, I was like, I know I need to do something in the like experience, like employee experience, customer experience, but it takes a lot of time. I think sometimes when you don't really know what you want to do to kind of test and try yes. and like, yeah. who are my people and who, who do I want to reach and who do I want to inspire and who inspires me? And like, it's right. such a journey. And I think right now in our reality, there's a lot of like, you know, oh my gosh, the amount of things I've watched on YouTube, that's like, uh, you know, a zero to a millionaire in like 90 days. Right. And shit. That's like, and a lot of young people are kind of like latching onto that. And, and I, and I'm trying to do the opposite almost through my experience, you know, really kind of teaching through my own experience. And right. this year has been that journey of like, I'm just going to try a bunch of stuff and see what lands and see what I'm passionate about and see where I really like, where's my spot? Like, where do I fit? And this is it. This is after a year, this has been the thing. So I love it. It's just recently been launched in the second part of your question. I'm currently in Montenegro, which I think a lot of people will have to Google because I had to Google before I came here. And the only reason I'm here is my sister. She's a chef and she and her partner were part of the opening team of a brand new like luxury boutique hotel here two years ago. Yeah. So (laughs) they are based here. And when, when I got out of that France lockdown that I mentioned, I ended up coming here um, just to join them to see kind of what would happen with 2020, 2021. Right. Um, but I do uh, plan on moving to Greece in the next few months. And, oh, you know, so because I mentioned my love for Greece. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of what's happening right now. That's so exciting. What um, what city in Greece do you plan on moving to? So uh, for now, at the beginning, so Athens is obviously the capital of Greece. However, I don't like Athens at all uh, as a city of a place where I would want to live. Athens to me is a gateway to the islands, right? Yeah. But I don't want to kind of dive in the deep end and go live on a Greek island to start with. So uh, in the south of, uh, of Athens, if you go about 30 to 30 minutes to an hour south of um, Athens, you have the coastline and it's, it's, it's a very beautiful area. So I think I'm going to start there, see how I feel. And, you know, I'm naturally very nomadic. So I, I'm pretty chill in terms of like moving based on how I feel. So I'm going to start there and then, and then maybe commit to maybe like a year and then kind of see how I feel and then move on from there or maybe stay there. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) That's so exciting. I feel you're going to love living in Greece. Like it's, it's finally, I think that's going to be your place. Like I I think that's going to be, uh, I'm actually learning Greek right now. Are you? 30 lessons so far. How's that going? Because I I heard too, like I I heard from other people I know, like once you know a few languages, they all kind of, you know, relate to each other like a little bit, like it makes it easier to learn other languages. How has that been for for learning Greek? That that is 100% fact, Um, especially if your English is your first language, because in English, we don't do many things that every other language does. So we don't have masculine and feminine. Right. We don't change the endings of the, like, if we say, like, I go, you go, she go, they go, it's the same. Whereas in every other language, for the most part, you change the endings, right? And so once you have been exposed to that in one language, you conceptually you understand it and then even if it's different like obviously you know I speak French Spanish and English and so French and Spanish are very similar in that regard 
Greek is completely different. However, grammatically, it still has those concepts of masculine, feminine. So yes, it's what you heard is 100% fact. Once you, once you, especially the romantic languages like French, Spanish, Italian, like once Mm -hmm. you're able to one of those, the rest come quite easily. I'm now learning a language with a completely different alphabet. So that's like another level of but I have to say it is incredibly rewarding now that I know the alphabet that I can read a word I don't necessarily know what it means (laughs) I can say it it. progress amazing yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) well I'm so excited for you You know your story is it's really incredible it's really unique and I just I really can't wait to see where you end up and in your program so how can everyone you know find you on social media how could they join your program if they want to like Give me all that information. So the program is betteryourleadership.com. Super simple. You can apply through there. It's a super, it's a super easy, just a quick like Google form application. There's about four or five questions just to make sure like we're on the same page. Right. Um, and then in terms of connecting with me, social media and my website, it's my full name, Caroline Maley. So C-A-R-O-L-E-N-E. My last name is M-E-L-I. So that's my website, carolinemaley.com. But then on Instagram, LinkedIn, Caroline Maley, also exactly the same. And then for anyone interested on YouTube, I have a uh, interview series called The Experience Creators. So if you just search my name or if you search The Experience Creators, um, I interview people from around the world that create experiences. And that could be in so many different different meanings, context, like realities. But the the main question is what elements make up an incredible experience? And it is very cool to hear the answer of so many different people in different fields. So that's kind of, that's kind of over there on YouTube. But um, yeah, Yeah. I think right now, better, better your leadership. If if you're an up and coming manager, if you're in your first leadership role, or if you want to learn more about leadership and you're like in your twenties, early thirties, like even like late teens, like I think that what I've created like is so different to anything else that's out there. And I will say that when you watch the videos, there's no mullets, there's no like footage from the eighties, which (laughs) any kind of leadership training in their workplace, I'm sure you've watched a video that is like super old school. There's none of that. It's all modern. (laughs) So so funny. Well, Carolyn, it was so nice having you. Um, you know, your story is, like I said, is really awesome. And I just, I can't wait to see where you end up. We're going to have to touch base once you get to Greece and, and see how you're doing. But it was so nice having you here. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. Yeah, yeah. thank you. It was so much fun. Be sure to um, follow Caroline on all social medias. Check out her project. Um, I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode of the Variety Show. And I will see you guys next week. Thank you.